and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Kyra. Hey, you know, it's been a couple weeks since we got to record... <laughs> <laughs> Since we got to record one of these, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you, you just noticed, but I just used the biblical Greek greeting, Kyra. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I did not get that. I'm sure someone out there did. Yeah. Uh, well, are you having a grown-up beverage this evening? Yep, I've got myself a Manhattan. Excellent, as usual. Yep. I am brave. Yeah, it's hard to beat. Uh, uh, after that heat wave, I got the itch for margaritas. We are talking this week about the second half of Matthew chapter 5. Now, if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, we warmly encourage you to, to read through uh, it. There's a link in the show notes. Be sure uh, to check out the footnotes in that link in the show notes as well. They're particularly helpful in this section. There are some long, long, long footnotes in there, but I think they're going to really help you be able to get, uh, be primed for the conversation we're going to have. So go ahead and uh, give it a read. Welcome back. Let's get started. What what catches your attention? So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, footnote Q in verse 22, Adelphos. Uh, there's, you're using this language of child of God. Now, what I'm used to is brothers or um, that's tired. What's wired is, you know, brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Child of God. Tell me. Yeah. Brothers and sisters is... It's not terrible. I mean, it's great. It actually, let's, yeah. let's say, it, say it the way it's <laughs> even not terrible. Kind of sounds a little judgmental. No, it's, it's a great way to do it. And brothers is literally what the word is. Although I think um, siblings also would be a fair translation, but we just don't use that word nearly that much in English in like regular talking. It's also uh, not intimate. Like there's not, right. a- it feels like very, uh, I don't know, clinical. Like, yeah. 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 But what it's it's getting at is is this sense of like this is one of your people, because mm-hmm. um, the word was definitely used not only literally for biological brothers. It was used for siblings. It was used for cousins. It was used for relatives in general um, as a way to refer to people you're connected with. Um, and I think in this in this case, it's actually like even broader than biological relatives. It's more like uh, fellow descendants of Abraham. Like it's mm-hmm. fellow Jews. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like it, it's really broad. Heard, yeah. Like hearing folks say, oh, come on, cuz. Sure. Yeah. It, it's, it's really about like, these are the people that you value, I guess, might be a way to say it. And I think from Jesus' mm-hmm. perspective, you should value all people. So um, saying child of God is not that much of a stretch. It's it's not literally what the Greek says, but I think sure. it gets at the heart of what's what's there. Mm-hmm. Because these words are 
I mean, kind of idiomatic. They're um, they're not meant to be a well, a clinical word. Like, of course, he's yeah. not literally talking only about brothers. And mm-hmm. yeah, so capturing it's like child cap child of God captures. There's a tenderness to that. Mm-hmm. There's a we're all sort of kids to the divine. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a good trade-off I think for maybe the intimacy of brother. It also sidesteps the sort of impulse to be a bit literal with that one. Right. Yeah. It's definitely not just like another male born of the same parents. That's not what it's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. That's not just me. So trying to figure out, well, how do we, I mean, we could just leave it as brother and try to make sure everyone understands that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that wouldn't be terrible thing to do. It would, there are other things that I actually get more literal with in my translation than is traditional mm-hmm. with the understanding that it's metaphor. Yeah. Um, so, but really trying to get to the heart of what, does that help you get to what it's, what it's talking about or does that get, make it harder to get to what it's really getting at? And that's, that's where I'm trying to make these decisions. Hmm. Is it accessible or is it a barrier? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good control. Well, something that has made a lot of people throw their Bible across the room is uh, whenever there's hell language used Mm -hmm. Uh, and for pretty damn good reason. I'm not seeing the word hell where I'm used to seeing it. You're, Talking about the what, Hinnom the word Valley. Hell is in here? What? I don't. I, don't I know. I know yeah. what. What the hell am I talking about? Uh, yeah, you're talking about this Hinnom Valley, and you've got this long, mm-hmm. long footnote about um, why you're using, you're referring to some esoteric, <laughs> right? Uh, some geographical passage. location in in Palestine. Yeah, that that's discussed in a particular way by some people in um hebraic memory tell yeah. me about that and why is why is jesus talking about some random ass valley in his like big keynote speech yeah well i can say that the greek word that is i've seen it both ways either translated as hell or some versions trying to like be more faithful to the Greek, I guess, just literally put the Greek word in English letters and call it say Gehenna, mm-hmm. which I suppose is a little better. Um, but I think it should be translated because if you can't, if it's not translated, you don't know what it's referring to. Yeah. So it's Gehenna, Geh, Hinnom. Um, Geh is from the Hebrew word for valley and Hinnom being the name of the valley. So Hinnom Valley or Valley of Hinnom are equally good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a geographical location in Israel, in, in Palestine, um, that has a long history and gets mentioned quite a bit uh, in, in Hebrew Bible passages, particularly Jeremiah, but elsewhere also. Yeah, and it seems to be a, uh image of, it's like they remembered a particular moment in their story and it became a reference point for how they tell their own story elsewhere. 
and make sense mm -hmm. of it. Like this is the place where there was there were human sacrifices, like the yeah. darkest, the darkest well, and dumbest. Well, honestly, like a moment might not be doing justice. I think it was this was through centuries. You think was it was oh, it was like more than a generation of this? Oh yeah, this was where Moloch worship happened, and we had that. We there are references to that from early on, all the way through until the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, when the Babylonians invaded mm -hmm. King Solomon is specifically cited as worshiping Moloch, which would have been in the Hinnom Valley. So we think of like David as being like the great, the one who is really great. I remember even specifically walk through the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. There's a specific thing that came, they came, like some speakers came to our church and like showed us some really cute hand motions and mnemonic devices, like rhymes for how to remember the story of, of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um and it was like Saul was no heart, King David was whole heart, and Solomon half heart. And it's like, no, dude, like Solomon was awful. <laughs> yeah, Solomon yeah. was far worse than Saul. Um, Solomon was burning babies alive. Um, and it doesn't say that explicitly how I know, because he worshipped Moloch. And that's how you worshipped Moloch. And that happened in the Hinnom Valley. Shit. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he, in seminary, I took courses and read books that described the golden age of the Solomonic dynasty. And look at how you mean big... The, the, the time when Israel was rich. That's what you mean by golden age. That's exactly what they meant. They were like, look how blinging this bro is. Look mm -hmm. how big the borders of Israel in the telling of the chronicler became huge. They claimed a lot of lands from other people. Mm -hmm. And boy, wasn't God's favor upon them. Um, you know, this guy is... <laughs> That's the, none of these are necessarily good things or signs of blessing or, or that wisdom, that story of him getting a lot of wisdom. Yeah. I, I always, when I try to like convince people, which I don't, this doesn't actually come up that much. I didn't say, it sounds like I'm talking about this all the time. Uh, but when I try to show people you're on the bus, bad, just being like, Hey, yeah. You know how much of a dick Solomon was. Yeah. Solomon was the worst. Let me tell you yeah. how, yeah. um, <laughs> You look at Deuteronomy 17, um, and it's just a handful of verses, but it talks about all the things that says, when God gives you a king, you know, I will select a king um, mm -hmm. at some point. Here are the things that this the king has got to do in order to not be just totally screwing things up, to actually follow the ways that I have in mind for what what's a good way to live. And it li it's a list. So not accumulate horses, meaning essentially a big military and not many wives, you oh know, because less that turns his affections aside, meaning to other gods and other ways of life that don't follow the way of the Lord must not accumulate much silver and gold and must keep a copy of this Torah around all the time and observe what's written there and not exalt himself above his fellow citizens. So then you get that's in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. And then you go to first Kings uh, chapter 11 
and it's very interesting. It starts with King Solomon fell in love with many foreign women. Uh, he had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I feel like 700 might qualify as many. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, one seems good to me. So I, I don't know. I might be alone in that. And guess what? His wives shifted his allegiance to other gods. Verse four. Um, and he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, his God. He worshiped the Sidonian goddess, this and that, and the Ammonite god that, and Solomon did evil. He worshiped Chemosh, which is also did sacri- infant sacrifices. Let's see. And it's explicitly lists like having a ton of horses, having uh, so much gold and silver, like that you could pave the, Cons- like yeah. no one cared about silver anymore. You just like throw it in the ground and it wasn't a big deal. Like it was like, goes through the list of Deuteronomy 17 and first Kings eight to show or 11, sorry, first Kings 11 to show just how like, yeah, he did everything you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Um, it's in, it's in one of the Samuels, isn't it? That, uh, Samuel says, you guys want a king. We're done having judges. We want to have a king. And he's yeah, like, no, Samuel. no, no. And then he just says, this is what they're going to do. They're going to do yep. all this shit that is in Deuteronomy. And yep. then, yeah, like you're saying, like, that's like that. Those like if you show Deuteronomy next to what Samuel says, that's potent enough. But then you see what uh, Solomon actually does, because we think, OK, Sam's going to like anoint Saul and maybe Saul's going to be the one who brings that in fulfillment. Well, he's a he's a booger. He's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um. David has his own trials, but does not quite check many of those boxes. Holy yeah. cannoli. I mean, he doesn't have hundreds of wives, maybe dozens. So, you know. But yeah, yeah. Solomon Solomon checks all those boxes as hard as possible, as many yeah. times as possible, like out of ink. He sends them off to war. He takes their grain. He takes their kids. He's like, I'm either going to send your sons to war or I'm going to bed your daughters. Mm-hmm. Like that Primanocta thing all over. It's revolting. And to me, I what I'm used to hearing there is you're just going to get drunk on playing this empire game. You're going to just be yeah. like all the other nations. But there's also these other details of, and maybe it's two sides of the same coin, a belief that you you're going to have such a skewed vision of the divine. Yeah. That it'll not just lead you to believing that sacrifices can manipulate God, but that human sacrifices and not just human sacrifices, child sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you can manipulate any other part of your reality to your will, why can't, by sacrificing humans, I can sacrifice women to feed my lust. I can sacrifice men to feed my hunger for land and mm-hmm. name. Yep. Why can't I sacrifice a, a child to manipulate? Yeah. If you don't the care divine? about other human lives, then why care about any human lives? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the precedent in scripture. Like this is like the worst that they get 
<laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Like God even says, oh my me, I cannot even, I would have never guessed you guys would think this one up. It's dark. Yeah. yeah. And so why, what does it mean for Jesus to be using this phrase, this location, this memory? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where the, the fiery part of it comes from. There's some like legends essentially about it being a, a garbage dump that like got set on fire and then the fires burned perpetually or whatever, but there's actually no historical evidence for that. Um, it wasn't even proposed until a thousand years after Jesus. Um, that I did not know that until I read those footnotes. That's amazing. Yeah. Which it's fine, you know, but I think, I think the fiery comes mm-hmm. from the burning infants alive thing. Um, mm-hmm. And of course there's weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Yeah. This is a terrible place. And kind of justice happened in that invading armies came and there were battles there where a lot of the Israelites who were worshiping Moloch died. And so many of them died that they didn't even have companions left to bury the bodies and they rotted there. And this like horrible scene of death and destruction and and decaying corpses is what's being called to mind. Mm hmm. So much so that it like it became part of the mythology of people. It was considered a place that was like closest to the like the demonic realm, like um, where kind of like where the temple mount is. The veil is thin, like we're closest to God in this location. The Hinnom Valley is we're closest to evil in this location. Hmm. Um, it came to be this like really symbolic, really powerful representation of just everything that's wrong everything that's bad everything that harms people everything that harms the land mm-hmm. um, the land cries out from the blood that's spilled there and so i think this this reference comes up over and over and then other references to the temple being destroyed invading armies like and i think in the tradition that I grew up in, those were really downplayed and it was all about like what happens to me after I die. But one of the things that has stood out really starkly for me as I'm doing this translation is over and over Jesus is making references to, to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and these books that were written like, please stop doing all this evil things to each other, all these things that hurt each other, all these things that completely disregard the way of life that God has has taught us is good. And instead doing all the opposite things that hurt everyone and that lead to invading armies and destruction and death and the land not being able to keep sustaining the people living there. And um, Jesus is like, it's going to happen again you're not officially worshiping idols anymore because you know, you kind of learn your lesson, but not really like all the kinds of things that the idol worship involved of like not taking care of the poor and, and harming people. Yeah. You, maybe you're not burning babies alive anymore, but you're letting people die of poverty. Yeah. You're taxing them to the point of that. They can't eat anymore. You're not taking care of your brother. You're not taking care of your neighbor. Hmm. This is, is unsustainable 
And it's going to lead to the same consequences because it, you don't need a little statue to be worshiping idols. Yeah. Preach. And so this is the image Jesus uses for a handful of things. Um, the fate of uh, those who are uh, adulterous or lustful, uh, those who name another person as a fool, dehumanize them in that way. Mm-hmm. Not uh, valuing their life as a human person. Both yeah. Of those. yeah. Yeah. It just feels so like we just spent a few minutes really settling into the discomfort. Like I'm uncomfortable right now with how fiercely cruel this place was. The Hinnom Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, Like forget Dante in his silly. I mean, whatever. It's cool. It's a great work of art, but it's a work of art, but yeah, like, like, yeah, that that material. Yeah. That image of the trajectory of <laughs> being bad at being human together. <laughs> mm. um, this is way worse. Like, it's not just like punishment and torment from some arc, some weird celestial creep. Like, this is humans falling apart at a deep, deep way. And Jesus is using it for like, completely everyday things like this this image of like the oh, of the of the that yeah. hurts yeah no <sighs> yeah it, it has a much different payload than well if you if you break the rules you go to the bad place instead of the good place mm-hmm. he's using this image not just of, of like of, of kind of the worst thing that even god could imagine it, it becomes an image of national judgment. Mm-hmm. This is a place of national judgment that goes really, really deep. Yeah. I just, I, what, what does it mean for you that uh, Jesus is using this to describe in the way that he is? Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind that like bridges the centuries here is that the imagery comes from killing babies that that's kind of what it boils down to you know that's at least that's the action there's there's a lot more behind it as to how they got to killing babies and what it what was involved and why and but that's not jesus is doing something else here and saying yeah yeah we know killing babies is bad that is not a high enough bar don't kill (laughs) babies is not is, is not enough yeah um yeah it's are you dehumanizing someone by calling them an idiot are you treating women as if they're objects that for you to own and do with whatever you want are you breaking your promises like are you pretending like you have control when you don't and using that to control other people you are killing babies this is just as bad. Mm-hmm. Stop it. You are treating other people as if they're not human. Yes. And that is not okay. Mm. And I feel like that bridges American politics from right to left. Right there. Like we can all agree that killing babies is a bad thing. 
we have different people have different definitions of what and is what is entailed in 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 that but we often don't agree on how important it is not to do these other things and jesus is very clear this is not okay hmm. and to the to the same level like you're heading in the same direction I think, I think that's what it is. It's, it, it doesn't really matter if this action or that action is better or worse. They're taking you in the same direction. This is the original slippery slope argument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The slippery slope to hell. And that's, uh, I, I think I, you know, I heard there's the question of like, well, what about what I do or this person does versus like, does it really warrant an invading army to come and slaughter an entire military and innocent civilians, if innocent is the right word there, and cart people off into slavery and other lang- in another country and forced relocation. Yeah, I think so because it's not really about what so and so did. It's not really about one person. If it were about one person, that would be a, a little bit extreme. I think. But it's about the character of an entire nation. The, the, what each person does is a symptom of what's considered acceptable and the kinds, what the culture is producing, I think. Weirdly, what comes to mind is baboons. Um, <laughs> that is weird. Go yeah. on. <laughs> um, so there was a, something that happened where some, some biologists were studying this. Um, I don't know what they call it, a tribe, a pack, a herd, a, a group of baboons and a, a sickness came through and wiped out a bunch of them. And largely what happened is all the aggressive males died. Um, oh, that's, yeah. And the, the theory is that, the aggression was caused by cortisol and and stress basically so all the extra stressed aggressive baboons died and then what happened was that this whole group of baboons stayed super peaceful and cooperative after that Mm -hmm. Um, and that when other aggressive males tried to join the group from other groups they were welcomed but any of their aggressive behavior wasn't tolerated. And after some months, they changed their behavior to match the group dynamics. And it was, so it ended up being this really weird, like zoological study slash sociological study slash like yeah, uh, yeah. hormonal impact study. Like it is fascinating because that wasn't what they were intending to study at the beginning. They were like devastated that, they thought their study was ruined when the disease came through, but then they discovered a whole bunch of stuff they weren't expecting. And I think what, what brings that to mind for me is the sense of like a society that thinks it's acceptable to murder babies by burning them alive to increase prosperity is going to be a society that breeds violent and selfish people. Mm-hmm. A society mm-hmm. that says, what the hell that's not okay a society that says Hmm. calling people names and saying rude things to people isn't okay and that pretending like you own women isn't okay that look seeing women as objects isn't okay not 
putting other people's needs on your list of priorities isn't that's not okay like that's a culture that's going in a very different direction and yes individuals might still lean towards those things but they're not going to be tolerated and that's not going to characterize the culture and that's going to lead in a very different direction for everybody hmm. and i think that's what's what's in view here there are consequences when an entire culture thinks burning babies alive is okay. And there are other consequences, very positive consequences, when an entire culture says, yeah, murdering's not okay, and calling people names isn't okay. And yeah, having sex with someone else's spouse isn't okay. And you know what? Looking at other people like they're objects that you can own isn't okay. Like we, we value people. That's going to go in a very different direction. Yeah. And it's going to produce people who fall in line with those expectations. Mm. There's so much more I want to go into on this. I think we got to keep moving along. I imagine uh, that this will be one of those uh, themes that will be worth chasing along as we work our way through Matthew's gospel. Yeah. Well, lucky for us, I think the Sermon on the Mount in general, these three chapters that were in the yeah. first of the three serves as a little kind of a template for the rest of the whole book. Um, So there's plenty of opportunity to come back to some of this stuff. Excellent. But I mean, just, yeah, broadly, I think it's seeing you're like, you're clarifying You're I'm, I'm apprehending a bit of a constellation here where there's a baseline of the Jesus ethic and effective disposition is one where, you know, in the Hinnom Valley, they put the babies in a bell, right? A big iron, um, or was it a bell or a bowl that was in the fire and were to molest reality to be on our ego's worst terms. And we, we don't put babies in fire bowls. We don't. So we're off the hook. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, what I'm, what I'm like that, that, is a way of saying what kind of maybe the inverse way of saying the Jesus ethic is, is, is mortifying every part of us that would want to make another human, an object of our hunger, um, our insecurity, our fear, our pride. Um, Like pride has its own problems Fear has its own problems, but they all, one of the things they all have in common is we'll do anything. They, they can just take over the brain. They can take over the soul to say, mm-hmm. do anything you have to. Yeah. Kill the damn baby. Do it, and you will be rich. Yeah. Like, just think trying of to that get their one. needs met, Brandon. That's all they're trying to do. Yeah, this is just some <laughs> freaking Maslow. Uh <laughs> All right, we've got to move on. Uh, yeah. Let's go, let's go from child sacrifice to adultery. Um, Great transition. Jeez. Um, yeah. So this big, this next big stretch here from really twenty seven through what thirty two is often used to to speak about. Well, it's why divorce is always, 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 always wrong, and divorced people can't get remarried. And sounds like what you're saying is, if you're miserable, you got to stay miserable. 
Yeah, else. once yeah, once life puts you in that bell that fiery bell, you gotta stay in there. That has always seemed somewhere from bewildering to horrifying. Mm-hmm. As a divorced man, it the conventional uh notion of these passages um is uh, unnerving. Uh I've bumped into a few different ways uh, alternative ways of of reading it since but can you give a can you give a summary um yeah for those who maybe didn't catch the footnote well interestingly it is specifically talking to men and not just anybody who's divorcing so sorry brandon um Mm. he doesn't doesn't let you off here yeah okay that's funny um but i think the issue is that marriage means something really different in this context than what it means in 21st century American context Mm -hmm. where we marry because we love somebody and that like makes us happy to be with them. And we want to make them happy. Like that, that is, I think some people like kind of know this, but they like forget it as soon as they pick up their Bible. Um, Is that's like a brand new idea, historically speaking like did not exist prior to like three, 400 years ago in Europe. And then even later in other parts of the world, it's that is never until these last few centuries in Western culture been what marriage is about. And that's not to judge what it is now at all. It just just is what it is now. Yeah. It's not better or worse. It's just a different thing. Yeah, really just to observe that it's really easy to commit anachronism, to be um, seeing something out of out of time and out of order Yeah. Uh, here. So, and why that's important here is that, like, it's about economic security, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally not allowed, like illegal, for women to have their own livelihood in this culture that we're talking about in Jesus day. Um, So they either had to be supported by their father or by their husband or just by the generosity of strangers by begging or through sex work, which was frowned upon weirdly and somehow gets like, you're left in this choice essentially in this culture of starving or sex work. And you're kind of told, yeah, maybe you should starve. And I think Jesus has a problem with that. It, yeah, boy, that seems like a, uh, helps me understand Jesus's deep sympathy. Like his complete comfort hanging out with sex workers mm-hmm. is like, yeah, the, they are caught in an economically agonizing situation. Yeah. Like the problem here is not that is not primarily that they're breaking Torah. That's a, that's there's problems. Torah is being broken, but not primarily by the sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. Like the deeper thing is the person divorcing or um, casting out, but not, terminating the marriage like and the general patriarchal system that says 
women can't have things and you know all this stuff where they're yeah they have to choose between starvation and sex work mm-hmm. like he gets it like man y'all got to play the game yeah and so i'm telling you a man who any man who looks at a woman like he owns her um traditionally like with lust which that's that's what lust is is this this desire that's kind of like i deserve this like i own this um there's bloodlust there's sexual lust there's like yeah none of the other considerations of anyone else involved in this matters only my satisfaction matters here and he's already been untrue is how i translated it has already committed adultery could be another way to do it. It's always been unfaithful in his heart, like in his desires. That's what that's what heart means in this culture. Is not so much just emotions, but desires, motivations. And we start talking about Inham Valley again. <laughs> like this this lead that that kind of approach to another human person leads toward the Hinnom Valley situation again. Mm. And it says it twice, in fact. Like it really wants you to know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like one verse after the other. Yeah, it's better for you to destroy one part of you than have your whole body tossed in the Hinnom Valley. If your right hand makes makes you lose your way, cut it off and get rid of it. It's better to destroy one part of you than to have your whole body go into the Hinnom Valley. Like, to suffer the fate of judgment that the Hinnom Valley did. This really turns up on its head, This like, and it just resurfaced again. I'm just like, Come on, have we not learned? Like Joshua Harris learned of all people <laughs> that the like yeah. uh modesty, the the like shame of the female body is not the way to go. Yeah. Um, the purity culture thing of the 90s that we grew up in, like mm-hmm. not the way to go. It's a problem. It's it is is a whole church trying to teach people to like supposedly follow God's way actually being satanic. And I mean that very literally thinking chapter four here, Mm -hmm. um, the false accuser. Yes. Somehow just like last week, all of a sudden modesty became like the big thing again. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Twitter was full of it. Yeah. Yeah. And this makes very clear like it's the one looking at someone else like you own them like you deserve to take from them you're the one who you know what it would be better to cut off your own hand or pull out your own eye like you're the one who is destined for the doom of the Hinnom Valley not mm-hmm. the woman who's wearing a tank top has nothing to do with that man we would kill Jesus so damn fast Oh yeah, our church has, <laughs> has no resemblance. So, oh, but whoever does find, you know, marital infidelity is the way I translate it. Um, sexual immorality is pretty frequently translated there. Um, in Do you the say next, which verse that is? Uh, that's twenty-seven for don't engage in marital infidelity. That's right. And or then, commit adultery would be yeah in. Sexual immorality is the traditional. Hmm. And verse 32, anyone who sends his wife away without sexual immorality pushes her into infidelity. I put it as without just cause. 
pushes her into marital infidelity. So there's, well, well, marital infidelity being moikea, I think, is the like, yeah, adultery is the traditional, like the really traditional old word. Yeah. Um, And then the reason being porneia is the Greek word for sexual immorality. So I put just cause because there's this whole conversation of like, what is just cause? Is it like, because they had sex with someone else? Literally in some of the texts, it's like um, acting obscenely, essentially like exposing, exposing themselves is, is really like very, very literally um, what's in the, in the Hebrew text. Wow. And then there's this connection with acts um, and the Jerusalem council where essentially the, the Jewish Christians are debating, okay, Peter had this weird like vision where I think we're supposed to include the Gentiles now, people who are not Jewish. And is that okay? Do they have to become Jewish to become Christian? We thought so, but maybe not. So what's at least like the bare minimum that they have to do to be acceptable Christians, but not Jewish. And that, so it lists four things. Um, I cannot remember them all. Not eating blood with the meat and pornea, not doing pornea, whatever we're defining that as traditionally sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two more that have to do with eating. Um, yeah. So it's weird that three of the four things that were like the litmus test for like, are you holy enough to be Christian had to do with what you're eating. I don't know about American, American Christians don't really care about that. Um, who, who do, who do we get to be mean towards? That's the true marker yeah. of a Christian is, do I get well, to be mean to trans people? Do I get to be mean right, to right. gay? Yeah. But they, they kept the, the one out of the four, the sexual immorality thing, but they get to define it however they freaking want to. Yep. Um, <laughs> Left a lot of slack on that line, guys. Yeah. Appreciate um, you. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, Luke, maybe it's, maybe it's because it. they ignore the other three that they put extra weight on the fourth. Yeah. Um, but so there's a lot involved here I mean, and it's really not super clear what it means. But if you take those, that list of four, it kind of summarizes Leviticus 17 through about 21, which is really interesting, I think. And within that, there's this whole list of different ways of, of behaving sexually that are said, Hey, don't do that. That's not a good idea. And, and pairing that from like the linguistic root of pornea um, that has to actually, the root is actually not about sex. The root is actually about selling. Really? Uh Uh-huh. And so there's this sense of, I think it has to do with sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of what it's saying here is there was in Jesus day, there were two primary rabbinic traditions Gamaliel being one of them, and I want to say Hillel, but I don't think that's actually somebody's name. I think that's a, a different word. Um, but they're true rabbinic traditions, and they are, were, are there was this argument happening. Essentially, one was, can you divorce a woman? Essentially, like decide that you're not going to take care of her anymore and provide for her anymore for whatever reason you wanted, or do you actually have to have like some reason that you can cite? And Jesus is kind of siding on the, like, maybe you should have like a real reason. Because you're going to be casting this person into poverty, into like complete yeah. 
inability to provide for themselves. Yeah. Until you guys can do something greater than me, namely collectively smashing patriarchy. Yeah. You're casting them into starvation or sex work. So those are the let's, only options left. If you divorce this, person. let's do some harm reduction here yep. and say, have a effing good reason. Yeah. And even more than that, people, I, th- what, what happens is that people were just like, okay, so I can't like legally divorce you. So we're just going to like separate and I don't have mm-hmm. to take care of you anymore. And Jesus is like, dude, if you're going to send your wife away, which is the word for divorce here is Actually, the same word that almost everywhere else is translated as forgive. Um, what? Yeah, what? it's the same Greek word. And the reason is because the word doesn't literally mean either of those things. It literally means like send away, release, abandon, like create distance with is what the word means. Holy crap. <laughs> You're making me want to go into debt to take some Greek. <laughs> it's fascinating. This is interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's why I did like traditionally it's whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate. And I'm just like, well, no, like the word is, is send them away. Like it's yeah. whoever sends his wife away must give them a certificate so that they're not still technically married, but out on the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with no one to provide for them and they're not allowed to depend on, they can't get remarried to have another person to provide for them, which is this really messed up system where a woman can't provide for herself and has to be attached to a man. So a man in order to survive. So the, so the, the caster outer can cast a woman out, making them choose between starvation and sex work. And so that's its own bad. And then mm-hmm. there's this, like, there's, it's like a cascading crisis of madness because then there's all this teaching about, you know, anybody who has some bodily connection with a woman who's been cast out, they're committing adultery yeah. too. And it's like, well, if you just give no, them man, the damn divorce certificate, then they, then they could be legally remarried and not have to be either doing sex work or as like, like the Samaritan woman in John uh, three having dual citizenship. or John four. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like verse 32 here, but I'm telling you anyone who sends his wife away without pornea, mm-hmm. uh, translated as just cause pushes her into marital infidelity. Why? Because she has to attach herself to another man to live. She will literally die if she doesn't, but she's still technically married to you because you didn't legally divorce her. This is such a fierce indictment of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Like it is brutal. Once you actually know the context of what Christ is speaking about. Yeah. But people really lean into this one and really shaming people who get divorced today. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, this has nothing to do with that. Yeah, like nothing. it has a lot to do with a lot of other aspects of things that happen today. Um, but not let, that. Let the listener understand. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we should probably move on here. I think the last thing I want to hit on this is a, a recurring theme 
in verse, so in verse 45, let me scroll to that here. That's how you become heirs of your divine father. God models the, that way by giving the same sunrise to both those who are destitute and those who are privileged and sending rain, both for those who are just and unjust. Mm-hmm. I made some, you know, several different yeah. choices here. Yeah, so that's two different pairings there. So destitute and privileged are normally um, evil and good, and uh-huh. and then just and unjust would be righteous and unrighteous. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 less stretching one would be the righteous to just and un, unrighteous to unjust. I think. Yeah, yeah. We've we've covered. Dikaiosune and its cognates before. So anytime you see just or unjust, know that that's almost certainly the the Greek um, mm-hmm. floating above that. But yeah. the destitute yeah, and privileged, that's I a often, very different... Go ahead. Yes, it's very different. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. It like flips the meaning on its head, basically. Uh, but in mm-hmm. like... Well, flips it on its head after like carrying it into an entirely different conversation, mm-hmm. um, which I think is faithful to what really is going on here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just and unjust, yeah, is traditionally righteous or unrighteous. And you'll see that throughout this translation as those being the words that I use or those who live justly sometimes instead of just, or those who are committed to all things being well, kind of that, that feeling of things. There's like Good, a cloud goodness of for words. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a cloud of notions yeah. that this one Greek word and its variations uh, capture. So you're using a. Yeah. I think there's not like one English word that really does does well here, but those which are just how translation close. works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a recurring thing we have to understand is like it's actually really unfaithful to the text to just be insisting like just slapping it with one meaning every time or one word every mm-hmm. time when there's clearly different meanings. Yeah. So I want to, I want to end the episode really just exploring what you, um, what this, what this whole thing is with destitute and privilege instead of uh, evil and good. Like that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a shift. Yeah. I think people are going to be uncomfortable, um, which is okay. Cause I feel good about it. Um, <laughs> and that's what matters. Right. So I made a really conscious decision, I think, the first time I arrived at this word, which might be here, actually. Um, I don't remember for sure. The Traditionally, this word is evil. Mm-hmm. And I made a really conscious decision that that English word does not appear in this translation. And then the word that where it's privileged here um, is the word good. And there is a couple of exceptions, but almost nowhere else does the word good appear in this translation. And that's because those English words have become really tied to moral value. It becomes this really binary, like you're a bad person or you're a good person, and therefore you don't have value or you do. And that is not what's being talked about anywhere in scripture, I don't think, especially, but for sure in Matthew. And really what the words mean i've been thinking about this a lot so the in the the lexicons that's the like scholarly word for dictionaries um what what they talk about here is that this word means something along the lines of 
causing toils or oppression or hardship or being in bad shape, Mm. um, bad condition, or on the other hand, in good condition. Um, So I think to summarize it in like one word for each, paneras, what I've translated here is destitute, traditionally evil. It's essentially um, what harms people or people who are enduring harm or hardship. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one, so agathos being what's in good shape. What are, what are being people who are being benefited or causing benefit Um, depending on how it's being used. But that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the thrust of the word is essentially harm and benefit. Hmm. Um, and I think historically evil wasn't necessarily a terrible word. Um, you can look at other, especially if you look at King James and look at how it's used throughout is essentially like evils befell them, essentially hardship befell them. Like evils, shit happens. Yeah. Like evils are like, bad things that happen but somehow over the centuries we've turned that into like malicious intent and immoral people who are worthless because they're immoral with malicious intent and i i suppose that could be an appropriate subcategory of things that harm and cause hardship but that's not what the word means Mm mm-hmm um, that could be one way to apply it, but it's not the definition of the word. Hmm. Um, and so to avoid that really pervasive misunderstanding, I have committed not to use the word at all. And I'm going to use other words to describe what's happening, I think. And I think destitute here does that. Um, I could also do something like both who, those who like are in hardship or experience oppression or something like that would also be appropriate. I think destitute does it just fine. And those who are privileged, meaning those who have good things happening, who, those who are receiving benefit on a daily basis, like God sends rain for both. Mm-hmm. And when there's a drought, it's for both. And whether they're just or unjust, like these larger things that happen, whether the sun rises or not, it's not based on what your situation is. It's just, it's for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. The naming of another person as evil or another person as good is to uh, immediately step into a core error that Jesus is really trying to heal us from the impulse. Absolutely. Like he just said, don't call people a fool. And then under the conventional translation, he's like, yeah, some people like are just evil. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, yeah. Well, that's a shit thing to say, Lord. Um, did you read five verses ago? Um, right. So just saying like destitute, like, yeah, you know what? Some people don't have enough. Some people have at least enough. Uh, and the sun comes up on both of them. So mm-hmm. like, don't think that God's creational provision has friggin' anything to do with what you already have or don't have right now. I mean, Evil and good, like those who are 
in a Hinnom Valley trajectory mm-hmm. <laughs> and those who are in a Zion, I don't know what the al- geographic alternative is. Um, a gratif- being gratified if we look earlier in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, a blessing being gratified trajectory. Yeah. 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 Hmm. This also aligns with, I know, a core insight for you pretty early on in, in this venture was this theme of jubilee and economics. Yes. And letting that be a controlling, I guess, discretionary pry bar. Like, like you're going to, or, or shoehorn almost. Like you're going to, you're yeah, going to err on this. really leans into that. Yeah. You're going to align your translation. You're not going to force things to fit, but. No, but I'm going to notice when they're there. Yeah. And I think this is an example of like, well, you're, you already had a proceeding commitment to the, um, I'm, I'm not going to use words like evil and good. Um, and so the, the word that you did choose, the words rather, uh, are, they are material, they're economic, they are situational. Like here's the received um, provisional circumstances uh, instead of, you know what? Some people are just pricks. Um, <laughs> she's just not what Jesus is. This into. irredeemably bad person. Yeah, like yeah. The, the most concise way I can describe them is evil. Mm-hmm. Jesus does not do that to even the people who are like stabbing him to death on a cross. Yeah. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And it was chapter six where it really hit me about the kind of financial economic lens that all of these things are being talked about, which we'll get to next time. Um, and, it, and it made yeah. me kind of come back to some of these first five chapters and look at it and make some adjustments like, Oh, okay. I see. I see this theme showing up. What, what is, how does that influence how I'm seeing these words earlier on? Yeah. Well, that is a great pivot. Uh, and points to wrap up. So yeah, that that concludes this week. We are both very thankful for your continued company on this leg of the journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or a review in your podcast player of choice. Why? Well, that makes it easier for more people to join us on this journey and find the show. Now, the second best way support the show is to become a sponsor you can do that for just five dollars a month there's a link in the show notes right where you found the the link for the translation when you do that and become a sponsor you'll get comment access on the translations google doc and the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media and again you can find the link to that in the show notes the music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thank you, Kevin. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Brandon. <laughs>